Today we're going to dive right in and we've got a lot of information. I hope you brought your running shoes with me today because uh, we're going to work through some amazing things. And if you did not check out last Sunday's sermon, uh, let me just encourage you. You need to go online and uh, go to our webpage, social media links, and you need to get connected. You need to listen to last Sunday's sermon uh, because we're going to recap some stuff today. But you really want to dive deep uh, as we kind of work through this. What time is it is the name of this study, a study on end times, and we kind of look at where we are and what God is doing uh, as we move into the end time events that are literally uh, unfolding around us. So today, uh, I just want to start out with Acts chapter 17, verse 11, because I made the statement last Sunday that the goal of this study is not to get you to agree with me and my interpretation of end times. The goal of this study is that you and I hopefully would become like the Bereans. And that's what Acts chapter 17, verse 11 says. It says, and the people of Berea, they were called the Bereans were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if what Paul and Silas were teaching was truth. And I want to just encourage you today to do three things. No matter what your beliefs are about end times, maybe you know a lot, maybe you know a little, that you would enter into this study with an open mind, that you would be open-minded. I pray also that you would listen eagerly, the Bible says. I, I asked you last Sunday, don't just listen to the words that I'm speaking but I really hope you hear the heartbeat behind this message because the goal of this message, as I said, is to dive us deeper into the Word, but it's also to focus us more intently on the mission of the gospel, and that is the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. So I hope you hear my heart in that. And then last but not least, my prayer uh, is that you're going to search the Scripture every day uh, to see if what I'm teaching is true. And here's the good news today. Whether you agree or whether you disagree with my end-time study, whether you agree or disagree with my interpretation, interpretation of the end time events, our eschatology, hear me, is irrelevant. Our eschatology, which means the study of last things or end times, our eschatology is irrelevant because what matters is the mission of the church. And we don't have to agree on our eschatology, right? We can have differing views on eschatology and we can still love each other and we can still serve God together because it, none of that changes the mission, which is to win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil. And I pray that today your heart will be more passionate in reaching people than it has ever been before because the Apostle Paul said it like this, his coming, the end of all things, is closer now, he said, than when we first believed. So no matter what you believe about end time events, it's closer now than when we first believed. And we need to be about the Father's business. So today, let me encourage you one more thing as we kind of dive into this message. If you did not sign up last week to get a copy of Dr. Forrest Van Zandt's syllabus, he wrote a special syllabus just for this study uh, on uh, end time events, and he did a timeline of the book of Revelation. If you did not sign up last week, there's a link in the description here on this video. We're going to have it on social media, our website, where you can grab hold of that. And you can just go click on it, fill out some information. It's going to send that to you in a PDF form, and you can dive deeper. And let me just encourage you, please get the syllabus, get the timeline, because it is impossible. It's impossible for me to teach through all the details that Dr. Forrest goes through, because he does an amazing job of creating what we're calling the backdrop of this series through that study, as he goes into intimate details of the things that unfold in end time events that I just do not have time to share with you on Sunday morning during a 35-45 minute section. So let's just revisit a couple things we talked about last week. We said the purpose of prophecy is to authenticate the Word of God so that we believe that Jesus is who He says He is. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so the purpose of prophecy 
is to drive us to a place that authenticates God's Word so that we believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who He says He is. And if you don't believe that Jesus is who He says He is, then look at Scriptures and look at end time events and you will understand the Word of God is true and Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the Savior and the Messiah, the coming King, and the one that you and I must believe in if we're going to have hope in this world and ultimately have hope in the world to come. The second thing, and this little point right here is very important because as I shared with you last week, it's this next point that we talked about last week uh, that really has been the greatest revelation for me. And it's this perspective, I want you to hear me, it's this perspective that we're about to talk about uh, that really is going to become the filter through which we interpret all end time scriptures. So I just want to share it with you. So here it is. End time prophecy, here's the revelation, revolves around three things. It revolves around three things. God's land, which is Israel. God's people, which is the Jews. God's holy city, which is Jerusalem, because all end time events revolve around, hear this, God finishing what he started with Israel. So when you begin to understand that end time events revolve around those three things, God's land, God's people, God's city, because it's all about God finishing what he started. In Genesis 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. And in the book of Revelations and in Daniel chapter 9, in that 70th verse or in that 70th week, we're going to find out God's going to finish everything that he started. And the great tribulation is about God bringing to a completion what he began in Genesis 15 and God fulfilling his word. And it ought to encourage us today because when you know that God keeps his promises, you can have confidence to trust the God of the Bible because he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So all end time prophecy revolves around Israel, the land, the Jews, the people, and Jerusalem, God's holy city. And it's all about God finishing what he started. We also saw last week that salvation comes from the Jews, right? Jesus said salvation comes from the Jews and, and the realization is everything that we have as Christians is 100% rooted in our Jewish history. If you remove the Jewish history from Christianity, there is no Christianity because Jesus is a Jew and all of our lineage comes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we understand salvation comes from the Jews. Salvation will end with the Jews. And then by God's grace, think about this, by God's grace, he includes the whole wide world. God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. And God so loved the world, red, yellow, black, and white, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish. So God begins salvation with the Jews. God will end salvation with the Jews. And right here in the middle, I said last week, we're like the cream in the Oreo, right? God opens the window of salvation to all the world that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, but have ever lasting life. I should get an amen out there, somebody. Come on, give a shout out to the Lord because of his goodness and his mercy as he has extended his grace to me and to you. So we asked the question last week. This was really our main point. Where are we now? We said, where are we right now uh, in the timeline of end time events? And so we said we are living in the gap between verse 26 and verse 27 of Daniel chapter 9. It's called the time of the Gentiles, the church age, or the time of Israel's blindness. So let's read Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Then we're going to read Romans 11, verse 25. Because in Daniel 9, these four verses kind of give us the cliff notes. It gives us a snapshot of the entire 
our end time events in four little verses. The Bible says this, 70 weeks are determined. And we recognize when you study the syllabus, those 70 weeks are actually 70 weeks of seven years, which means 490 years. God says they're 490 years determined. Look what he says, for your people, the Jews, and for the holy city, Jerusalem. And then he names six things he's going to do. He's going to finish transgression. He's going to make an end of sin. He's going to make reconciliation for iniquity. He's going to bring an everlasting righteousness. He's going to seal up the vision, the prophecy, and he is going to anoint the most holy, which is Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords on the throne of King David. And so God says there are 70 weeks for me to fulfill all these things. 70 weeks of years, 490 years. Now, verse 25, he says, know therefore and understand. So God is about to give us a stopwatch. He's about to give us a timetable to begin to mark time to know when these 70 weeks are beginning to be fulfilled. Therefore, I know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, that's Jesus, the prince, when he reveals himself, we call that the triumphant entry, when they, they lay down the palm branches and declare, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they, they declare that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And all of a sudden he says, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So seven plus 62 is 69 weeks. From the time that command is given to the time Jesus comes into Jerusalem, there's going to be 69 weeks, 483 years. He says, and the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, so there were seven plus 62, Messiah, Jesus, shall be cut off, but not for himself. So that's the crucifixion, but he's not going to die for his own sin. We know he dies for the sins of the world. And the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And that happened in 70 A.D. 32 A.D., Jesus was crucified. 70 A.D. Jerusalem was overtaken, destroyed, and the temple was torn down. So verse 26 was fulfilled in 70 AD, which means the 69 weeks of prophecy, 69 of those 70 weeks of years had already been fulfilled in 70 AD. Now look at verse 27, because verse 27 of Daniel 9 tells us when the last seven years, so 483 years have been confirmed, and now there's seven more years, and verse 27 tells us when that seventh year, we call it the seventh Seven years of great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week is going to begin. Look what he says. And then he, again, this is the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for a week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offerings, and on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. That's what Jesus calls the abomination of desolation. So we're living in the gap. We're living between verse 26 and 27. Verse 26, uh, Messiah has come. He's been crucified. The city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. And the temple has been torn down. And now the next thing to happen in this chronological event is that the Antichrist has to step into power, make a covenant, and then break that covenant three and a half years into it and set himself up as God in the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. And so we're living in that gap between verse 26 and verse 27. Romans 11 verse 25, the Apostle Paul defines that gap of time. It's called the time of the Gentiles. Theologians call it the church age. It's also called, called the time of Israel's blindness. Romans 11 25, Paul says, <clears throat> I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant about this mystery. And the mystery is Christ and the church, that God would redeem the Gentile nations uh, by saving grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the mystery he's talking about. He says, but at least you should be wise in your own opinion. Look what he says, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of 
of the Gentiles has come in. He says, so the Jews have been blinded in part. Part of their blindness was because of their rebellion. They missed Jesus. But the other part of their blindness was because God was extending salvation to the world. So they were partly blinded so that me and you, come on somebody, should be able to receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ and be born again and have eternal life with God in a beautiful place, wonderful place called heaven. So look at this next point. It was our last point last week. It's going to be our first point this week. So Jesus said, Matthew 24, we're not going to reread it today, but you need to read Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus said he was going to come like a thief in the night, and these are his words. He says, so be ready. Now, we know what the last seven years on earth are going to look like, but we don't know when the last Gentile is going to be saved. Because when the time of the Gentiles comes to an end, everything is going to change in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and it's called the rapture. When that last Gentile is saved and we're living in that gap and the gap comes to an end where that last Gentile person cries out to Jesus in a moment, a twinkle of an eye, Christ is going to come and he's going to rapture his church, those who have been born again and trusted in Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah of the world. And our world is forever going to change. Now, let me just be really clear real quick, okay? Uh, I believe uh, in a pre-70th week or a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, now, there are at least three views of the rapture. There's a pre-trib, a mid-trib, and a post-tribulation view of the rapture of the church. Now, most theologians, Bible scholars, all agree there is going to be a rapture, uh, but the distinction or uh, the discussion comes around, is it going to be pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? Dr. Forrest actually says there's a fourth idea that he introduces in his syllabus. But this is what I want to say about this. There are people hear me. There are people that are a lot smarter than I am. I'm talking about there are some biblical scholars out there that can argue scripturally, biblically from each of those points of view, pre, mid, post-tribulation. There are some very intelligent people that can take you to scriptures that backs up why they believe what they believe. But I want to just say with you today, but I believe, hear me, I believe that when you understand that that 70th week of Daniel, that the great tribulation is really all about God finishing what he started with Israel, with the land, with the people, and with the city of Jerusalem. When you understand that, and you interpret end-time scriptures through the context that it's all about Israel, the Jews, and Jerusalem, and it's not about, quote, the rest of the world. It's about a segment, a segmented group of people in the world called the Jewish people. When you understand that, all of a sudden, I believe it makes sense. Now, let me just reiterate something. I want to very be very clear on this. Uh, our view of eschatology <laughs> doesn't change the mission of the church. So maybe you are a mid-trib, maybe you are a post-trib, maybe you're a view on the rapture that I've never even heard of, but here's the realization. We don't have to agree on our eschatology, but we do have to agree on the mission of the church. The Great Commission doesn't change. And as a matter of fact, no matter what your view is, pre-tribulation, which is my view, prior to the 70th week of Daniel, mid-tribulation, which is what many people believe in the middle of the tribulation, and post-tribulation are also what many people believe. No matter what your view of when the rapture is going to happen, none of that changes the mission of the church. And I believe we can all agree on one thing today. 
We can agree to disagree on the timing of the rapture, but we have to agree on the mission of the church because if we're not reaching people with the gospel, then we're missing the mark and the heart of God, and that is to seek and to save those that are lost. And so I want to encourage you today. So today I'm going to teach this lesson on the rapture because that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to dive into the scriptures as to why I believe that the rapture comes pre the 70th week of Daniel or pre the great tribulation period. And I'm going to share with you why I believe that based on the scripture that we're going to look at today. But again, if you vary in that belief, 100% it's okay. High five. I love you. Come on. We can serve God together because eschatology does not change the mission of the church. Let's win our world for Jesus Christ. So let's dive into this and just know this is the perspective that I'm going to be teaching you from today. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want you to see this. And this is why I believe, according to scripture that we're going to be in a pre-tribulation rapture where God's going to catch away his church to be with him forever. Amen. So first Thessalonians chapter four, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Verse 13, it says, and now dear brothers and sisters, Paul is writing. Uh, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So Paul says, I want you to know what's going to happen to the people that have died in Christ because I don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope. Look at verse 14. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, now I believe he's talking about the rapture here, when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now we know Paul teaches us in the book of Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when a believer in Jesus Christ dies, their body is buried, but their spirit goes to be with the Lord. So we call that they're going to heaven or to paradise, whatever you want to call it. In, the, in reality, they are in the presence of God. And, and, and let me just say this, anywhere God is, that's heaven. Come on, somebody. So they're in the presence of the Lord. So their spirit is going to come back with them. Now look at verse 15. He says, and we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. I mean, come on, somebody. This is going to be amazing. One of the most astounding things that's going to happen during the rapture of the church is that the graves are going to burst wide open. I don't know if you know this. If you ever went to a cemetery or go through one recently, if you'll notice all the headstones are facing in the same direction. You know what direction they're facing? They're all facing east. And the reason they're facing east is because Jesus said in Matthew 24 that as the lightning comes from the east to the west, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. He's going to bust the eastern sky wide open and our graves even signify, our cemeteries signify the fact that there's going to be a bodily resurrection where those who are dead in Christ are going to be raised from the dead and their spirits are going to rejoin their bodies. It's going to be an amazing thing. Look what he says. He says, for the Christians who have died will rise from their grave. Look at verse 17. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be called up. And I put in parentheses, raptured. We'll be called up. We will be raptured, look what he says, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord 
forever. Now let me clarify something real quick, and this is in uh, Dr. Forrest's syllabus. The word rapture does not appear in the Bible. The word rapture comes from the Latin word raptos, where we get the word rapture. Uh, harpozo is the Greek word, and the word English translation for the word rapture is to be caught up, to be seized up, snatched up in a moment. And that's what the rapture is. It is the catching away or the catching up of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, those who have been born again and trusted Jesus Christ as they their Lord and their Savior. And again, if you haven't gotten the syllabus, there's a link. Click on that. Subscribe to it. We want to send it to you. You want to dive deeper into these truths. I also want you to notice something in the scripture. The Bible says that we will meet the Lord in the air and there we will be with him forever. This is not the second coming where Christ comes to the earth and sets up his throne and rules from Jerusalem. This is the rapture of the church. We're going to meet the Lord in the air and there we're going to be with him forever and ever. Now look at verse 18. He says, so encourage each other with these words. That's a key phrase, and I want you to see something. The rapture should be encouraging. Uh, when I hear people talk about end times event, many times Christians are discouraged, they're fearful, and they're afraid. But Paul says, hey guys, it's the rapture of the church that encourages us about end time events. We can be encouraged about the things that are to come because we are ready to meet the Lord, and we're going to be caught up in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, and there we're going to be with the Lord forever. Can I get an amen or a shout or a praise the Lord out there from somebody? Come on, guys. This is exciting stuff. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is continuing. Look what he says. Now, concerning how all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Again, it's going to come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. I don't believe the rapture can happen unexpectedly unless it happens before that 70th week of Daniel, unless it happens before the Antichrist steps into power. Because once the Antichrist steps into power, you can mark your clock. It's going to be seven years, and Jesus is going to return to the throne of David, and he's going to come in power and glory, and he's going to bring an end to this world. World as we know it. So the rapture of the church can't come after the Antichrist steps into power because that would not be unexpectedly. We would be able to mark our clock and know, hey, it's going to be in seven years. No, he's talking here about the rapture of the church. And the only time it can be unexpected is if it happens before this seven-year window of time, the 70th week of Daniel, the great tribulation has to come. So Jesus is coming back to catch away his church. So listen to what else he says. He says it's going to be like a thief in the night. He says and when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. Jesus said they're all going to be peace and safety. Everything's okay. Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's going to be like the days of Noah. They're going to be getting married and giving in marriage and having babies. It's just going to be life as normal. But all of a sudden, what's going to happen? The last Gentile is going to be saved. Christ is going to return to catch away the bride and all of a sudden, sudden disaster disaster is going to come on the world and there will be no escape. The world is about to change when the rapture of the church happens and it will never be the same again. Now look at verse 4. I love this verse. He says, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Now that's an awesome statement. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. So he doesn't say the day of the Lord is not going to come like a thief. He just says you won't be surprised by it. Now think about this. We won't be surprised by his unexpected 
unexpected return because we're expecting the unexpected. <laughs> How awesome is God? God's so smart and God's so wise. He says, if you expect the unexpected, then you won't be surprised when the unexpected comes upon you. So we need to be expecting the unexpected. We need to recognize when the world's moving along and people saying peace and safety and everything's okay and just keep on doing what you're going to do and everything's going to be all right. You need to be ready because you need to expect the unexpected because when you don't know about it and you don't expect it, he's going to return because the only thing holding back the return of Christ for the rapture of the church is the last Gentile to be born again. When the time of the Gentile ends, here he comes. Come on, somebody. That's exciting. Look what he goes on to say. He says, for you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to the darkness at night to the darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and be clear-hearted. For the night is a time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us live in the light, be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Look at verse 9. This is awesome. For God chose us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out His anger or His wrath on us. God chose to save us, look what it says, <clears throat> through our Lord Jesus Christ. God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out His wrath on us. I want you to hear this today. The Great Tribulation, or Daniel's 70th week, is seven years where God is going to pour out His wrath and His judgment on the earth. And God is not going to pour out His wrath and His judgment on those who have accepted Christ. He's going to pour out His wrath and His judgment on those who have rejected Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And right now, I want you to understand, right now, we are in an amazing place because if you're born again and you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then there is a security and a hope that says, you know what, God's not going to pour out His wrath on us. Why? Because we are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we have been chosen. Look what it says. God God chose to save us from his wrath and from his anger, which is the great tribulation that's going to be poured out on those who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Look at verse 11. Again, it's amazing what he says. So encourage each other. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. He says, so the rapture is encouragement for us to be about the Father's business, to walk in the light, not in the darkness, because we have been chosen to be spared from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out. But we need to be about the Father's business. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul takes us even further, gives us a little more insight into what's going to happen at the rapture of the church. Look what he says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your sting O Hades where is your victory so look at that next point on your outline I want you to see this. this is so wonderful. The rapture of the church is the bodily resurrection. It's the bodily resurrection of those who have died in Christ, those who have been born again prior to his return. Look what he says. He said the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. In Thessalonians, he said that they're going to be raised from the dead and they're going to come with him and their spirit and their bodies are going to be joined together and they're going to be raised from corruption to incorruption. They're going to be raised from a mortal body to an immortal body. If you remember Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples. He had flesh they could 
could touch him, right? He could eat, he could drink, but he could also walk through walls. He could appear and reappear in other places. That's what we got coming. A glorified body is what God has prepared for us because the Bible says when we see him, we're going to be like him. Come on, somebody. What a glorious thought that we're going to experience this resurrection. So for those who have died in Christ, there's going to be a bodily resurrection where their spirit, which is with the Lord, joins their body in a glorified form, never to die again. But then look what it says. We, in a, we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up in a moment of twinkle of eye. Why? Because it's also the bodily transformation for those of us who are alive in Christ when he returns. So when Jesus returns, if he returns today, those who are dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are alive and remain in Christ, who have been born again, are going to be caught up and we're going to be changed in a moment of twinkle of eye. Our glorified body is going to happen and we're going to step into a body where there's no more sickness, no more disease, no more COVID-19. Come on, people. It cannot affect us because we're going to walk in the glory of God in a glorified body that is raised to life forever and ever and ever to live with him. Now, let me just read John 3 to you because in John chapter 3, I want to reiterate this to you today. This is important. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 6, he says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. I want to just reiterate to you, salvation is not an decision. Salvation is a spiritual decision. Salvation is what happens when you're born again. You are dead in your sin, the Bible says, but when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of a sudden the Bible says you're raised to life. The Bible script, the scripture says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. It says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. When you get born again, you are raised to life on the inside. There is spiritual life, and you're not who you used to be. You literally become a brand new person, raised to life spiritually, so you can ultimately be raised to life physically and eternally with a glorified body. And if you've never been born again, I'm not talking about you've never prayed a prayer. I'm talking about there's been a super natural heart change where you were born again from the inside out and you knew you were different. One moment you were an old man, the next moment you were a brand new creation in Christ. If you've never experienced that today before we close this sermon and this series and this message, you're going to have an opportunity to get born again. Alright, look, look, look at this next point. Whew, I'm, I'm excited. i got to slow down. Look at this next point on your outline. So the rapture is one of the most significant end time events because it is the trigger that will set into motion the 70th week of Daniel or the Great Tribulation. Just like you shoot a gun, when you pull the trigger, it releases something. The rapture is the trigger that's going to set into motion that 70th week of Daniel or that Great Tribulation. Now, we don't have an exact time frame from the rapture of the church to when the Antichrist steps into power. We're not sure what kind of gap there's going to be right there. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a big gap, but we don't know exactly how much time is going to pass because from the rapture of the church to the setting of the Antichrist in a place of power, uh, that's going to be a transitional moment. But the moment the rapture happens... The trigger has been pulled. The end time events that are about to happen, that last seven years on planet Earth, are being launched into motion. And our world is forever going to change because of that. Now look at the rest of this statement. 
So the catching away of the church, the rapture of the church, allows a couple things. Two things I want you to see to happen. Number one, it allows the Antichrist to step into power. And we're going to see how that the chaos of the rapture, imagine the graves bursting open, imagine everybody that's born again being caught up, disappearing in a moment, twinkle eye, it's going to create chaos worldwide. And I believe that chaos of the rapture is going to be a pivotal point to allow the Antichrist to step into power and become an influential voice in the world. And so it is the catching away of the church that's going to allow the Antichrist to step into power. And there's another significant thing we're going to talk about in just a minute. But it also is going to set the world up. I want you to see this. It's going to set the world up for the second coming of Christ and for his earthly reign. So I want you to see this. The rapture of the church is the trigger that's going to begin these last seven years on planet earth as we know it called the great tribulation and i want you to see the big picture this is all about israel's redemption this is all about god saving the jews this is all about god finishing what he started with abraham isaac and jacob in the book of genesis god has a plan and he's going to bring his plan to fulfillment and to fruition and we need to be excited about the fact that god is doing something to usher in the salvation not just of the world but ultimately He's going to bring salvation to the Jews and set into motion eternity where we're going to live forever and ever and ever with him on a new heaven and a new earth wherein the Bible says dwelleth righteousness. What a glorious day. So the rapture of the church is the trigger that sets into motion the Antichrist coming into power and ultimately the second coming of Jesus at the end of those seven years to set up his earthly kingdom and to begin what we know as the end of the world. So it's going to be an amazing time. So let's read some scripture together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 through 10 and then we're going to go right into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want you to see something. Paul again is writing. He says, And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus Christ appears from heaven. And he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, listen to this, in flaming fire bringing judgment or vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. And they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Now listen to this. These verses are clearly talking about the second coming of Christ where he is going to set up his throne. He's going to judge the world. It's called the great white throne judgment. And he's going to send people into eternal destruction forever and ever. It's called the second death, which is the lake of fire. And so we see right here that Paul in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 through 10, is talking about the second coming of Christ. He's coming with flaming fire to bring judgment and vengeance on those who do not know God and to punish them with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord. That is the great white throne judgment and that is happening after the second coming of Christ. So he's talking about Christ's second coming. And then he says this, and when he, Christ, comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what you were told about him. Now look at the very next verse, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. He says, now dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, he's talking about the second coming at the end of the tribulation. Let us clarify how that we will be gathered together to meet him. He says, so don't be easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. And don't believe them even if they claim to have a special vision or revelation or letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, the day of Christ's second coming when he returns to the earth, that day will not come 
listen to this, until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, the man of lawlessness is the Antichrist, the one who brings destruction upon the whole world, the abomination of desolation that's going to happen. Look at verse 4. And he, the Antichrist, will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? So Paul says all these things, the Antichrist has got to come into power. He's got to set himself up on the throne in the temple to be God before Christ returns, right? This is the second coming here he's talking about. Now look what else he says. And now you know, look at verse 6, and now you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. So he's being held back and he can only be revealed when his time comes. Now look at verse 7. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. And the, the Apostle John told us that in 1 John, that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world, causing people to deny Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh. And so he says, this spirit of lawlessness is already at work. But look what he says, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps or is taken out of the way. So I want you to hear this today. The only thing, this is important, the only thing holding back the Antichrist, the only thing holding back the Antichrist is the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. The only thing holding back the Antichrist from stepping into his power and into his place to be revealed as this great world leader, the only thing holding him back is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which is the Holy Spirit at work in the world. And when God, I want you to hear this, when God raptures the church and catches away the church who have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, God is then going to pull back the Holy Ghost restrains on the earth. The Holy Spirit is going to be pulled back from the earth. I want you to hear this. As the church is raptured, and this is significant, because what is going to happen when the Holy Spirit, who is holding him back, steps out of the way, it's going to allow the Antichrist to step in the power. Why? Because for the Antichrist to step into the place of power and authority that he's going to have to demand worldwide worship, there has to be worldwide deception. And if the Holy Spirit is at work, who is the spirit of truth in the world, it would be impossible for worldwide deception to come. So the Holy Spirit is holding him back. God raptures the church, those of us who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he draws back his spirit, almost going back. I want you to hear this, almost putting the world back to an Old Testament model. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit visited and moved upon people? And as a matter of fact, he moved upon the prophets and they spoke. And in the end times, those last seven years, we're going to see two prophets that are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's going to move on them and speak through them uh, to bring judgment against the Antichrist and to prophesy against the world that Jesus is the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, what is holding him back is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in the church is going to be raptured up, and then the Holy Spirit is going to be pulled back to allow the Antichrist to step into power. Why? Because remember, remember, this is not about God allowing the Antichrist to have wicked power and authority to destroy the earth. No, this is about God allowing the Antichrist to step into power so he can trigger this last seven years of redemption where he's going to finish what he started with the nation of Israel. This is critical. So the Holy Spirit's going to pull back, the church is going to be raptured, and now the Antichrist is going to step into power. And I want you to see this. And he's going to return on the earth as he seals, we're going to read this in just a minute, 144,000 Jews who are going to be the witnesses declaring that Jesus is Messiah to bring in what will be the ultimate end 
time harvest among the Jews. And that's important. And we're going to break that down just a little more in just a minute. So look at the rest of the scripture. It says, And then the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus Christ will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. That's the second coming at the end of the seven years. And this man, the Antichrist, will do the work of Satan with counterfeit powers and signs and miracles. And he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. And God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Now, when it says God will cause them to be greatly deceived, it's not that God is deceiving them. God is pulling back the Holy Spirit. And when God pulls back the Holy Spirit, guess what? Now they have no, that now they are subjected to their own hearts to believe these lies. And then look at verse 12. It says, and then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Now look at this next point. I want you to see this. So the rapture ends the time of the Gentiles. It ends the church age and Israel's blindness and it shifts to an end time harvest. There is going to be an end time harvest during those last seven years, but I want you to see that this is important. It is an end time harvest of the Jews because the time of the Gentiles is over. And with 144,000 witnesses proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, once the church is raptured, I want you to hear this, the evangelistic voice on earth is going to be focused on reaching the Jews. Why? Because God is going to finish what He started with the land, the people, and the city because they're His chosen people. God has not abandoned them and God has not left them. His covenant that He made with Abraham is an everlasting covenant. And during these last seven years, God is going to finish what He started with an end-time harvest of opening the eyes of the Jews to see Jesus, the one they pierced, as Messiah. And there's going to be 144,000 witnesses, Jews, who are sealed by the Holy Spirit that are going to begin to testify that Jesus is the Messiah. And the two witnesses that are going to come and begin to boldly declare that the Antichrist is a man of deception and that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 through 17, or excuse me, 1 through 4, the Bible says this, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. 144,000 Jews are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And these are going to testify that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, this happens, this sealing of the 144 at the very beginning of the tribulation period. As the Antichrist comes into power and the seven seals, and we're going to talk about this in just a couple weeks, the seven seals are broken. We're going to see that this is going to happen. And at the beginning of the tribulation, God is going to seal 144,000 witnesses that are going to testify of Jesus. And he's going to open the eyes of the Jews so they can be born again and accept Jesus as their Messiah. Now, Last point, here it is. Why does this matter? Why does this really matter to me and you today? Let me tell you why. It matters because if you are not a Jew, then your time of salvation is right now. If you're not a Jew, your time of salvation is, not, is right now. Now, if you are a Jew, your time of salvation is now here today too. You can accept Christ. But specifically, if you're not a Jew today, your time of salvation is now. Because once the rapture happens, look at this last point. Once the rapture happens, it will be too late. It won't be impossible, but it will be improbable 
for you to get saved. It won't be impossible if you're a Gentile to get saved during the tribulation, but it will be very improbable. Let me tell you why. Because if you won't live for Him, for Jesus now, while it's easy. If you won't live for Jesus now while it's easy, why would you be willing to die for Him then when it's going to be harder than you ever imagined? Think about that. If you're not willing to live for Jesus when it's easy, why do you think you would be willing to die for Jesus when it's going to be hard? Not to mention the fact that the Spirit of God has now been drawn out and the evangelistic focus on the earth is toward the Jews, not the Gentiles. And so I want to challenge you today to understand something. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible describes what's going to happen. Because if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now, this is the day of salvation. Because if you think you're going to wait until the great tribulation to cry out to the Lord, you're for a rude awakening. Because the emphasis and the drawing of the Spirit is not going to be focused on you. Because just as the Jews were blinded, the Gentiles are going to be blinded during those seven years of tribulation. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be focused on drawing in the Jewish people to see Jesus as Messiah. Now again, it's not impossible, but it's improbable. Let me tell you what's going to have to happen for a Gentile to get saved during the tribulation. Listen to Romans chapter 13, or excuse me, Revelations chapter 13. John says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the sea, or excuse me, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a, dra a dragon. The second beast is the false prophet. And he says, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast, which is the Antichrist, in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he performs great signs so that he, even makes, that he makes even fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by these signs which he, grant, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Look at this, verse 14. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The image of the beast is the image of the Antichrist. And those who do not worship the image of the beast are going to be killed. Look what it says. And he causes all, all, A-L-L, all, to be all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And that no one may buy or sell except who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. I want you to hear this. The mark of the beast is not just to buy or sell. It is an act of allegiance and literally an act of worship to the Antichrist. So during the tribulation, hear me, the only way to accept Christ is to deny the Antichrist and subject yourself and your family to unimaginable suffering and ultimately to death. The only way to accept Christ as a Gentile during the tribulation is to reject the Antichrist and subject yourself and the people you love to unimaginable suffering and ultimately to death. So if you are not a Jew, today is your day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. If you can't live for Him now, why do you think you will die for Him later? So right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're in person or whether you're watching online, I want you just to bow your heads for a moment because I want to ask you an important question. Are you born again? Are you born again? I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you, have you joined a church? I'm not asking you, have you shook a preacher's hand? 
I'm not asking you, have you served or given your tithes? Have you read your Bible? I'm not asking you any of those things. I'm asking you, are you born again? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And if you've never been born again, and you've never been raised to life on the inside, spiritually dead to being spiritually alive, now with a heart and a passion to know God and make Him known, then today is your day of salvation. And it really is this simple, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is Lord, if you're willing to give Him ownership, that's what Lordship is. If you're willing to say, God, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again on the third day to pay the penalty for my sin. I confess that I'm a sinner and I want to be saved and make you the Lord of my life. I give you ownership today. If you're willing to do that, today is your day of salvation and you can be born again. So if that's you right now, if you're here in person, if you're watching our online campus, I want you just to raise your hand. If you're on social media, just say, I want to accept Christ. Say, I'm raising my hand. I want you to do something. Say something. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. Type something in that comment box. Raise your hand. All over this sanctuary this morning, raise your hand. Say, today, I want to be born again. I want to know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is Lord of my life. And I want to be ready to meet Him when He comes. If that's you right now, and you raised your hand. If you're in person, our ushers are going to slip a packet in your hand. I want you to fill that out in just a moment. But I want you to just hold on to it right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're watching online, there's a place for you at the end of this prayer for you to click. We want to send you some information. We want to help you take that next step. But if you raised your hand, let's pray this prayer together. I want everybody in the audience to pray it out loud with me. Let's say it out loud together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe He rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and be Lord of my life. I want to be born again. I give you ownership. I am yours and you are mine. I receive the gift of eternal life today through Jesus Christ, my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, congratulations and welcome to the family. We love you and look forward to seeing what God is going to do in your life.